Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable unto you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And I speak to you in the name of the living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, once again, it's great to be among you, great to be here. Um, for those of you who were here last week, you may remember our gospel, and that God gets personal with us. Indeed, this is almost a uh, sort of a, a, a part two of what happened and what occurred uh, that we heard of last week. And what happened last week and what we hear in our gospel is that God gets personal with us. Jesus asks his disciples, and he asks us as well, who do others say that I am? And then he turns to them and says, to them and to us, who do you say that I am? Simon, of course, speaks up, the first among us answering, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Simon is given a new name, Peter, meaning rock. Now for centuries, Peter's role uh, as a leader uh, of the primitive church has been acknowledged. You know, Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church. Yet there's another way to understand what Jesus is saying here. And if you read the verses carefully, there could be another sense of what Jesus is talking about. Rather than one person on which the church is founded, it is the faith and confession of Jesus as the Christ, Messiah, the Son of the living God, that is the foundation of the church. Because of this confession, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, because of this confession, the gates of hell will not stand against it. This rock foundation that all who claim Christ is what we stand upon. Indeed, Christ may ask us when we stand before him, who do you say that I am? And it may very, may very well be that our answer, not only to Jesus, but to ourselves, do we really believe? Do we really believe? And our answer is that which secures our salvation. Now, I will admit that some might say that this is some kind of new teaching, perhaps because we've never heard it explained that way before. But it is not new. 
Faith as a foundation is entirely biblical. Specifically, we see that in the letter to the Hebrews, beginning in chapter 11. And in that chapter, we Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, among others, are commended for their faith. And really a key verse is this, chapter 11, verse 39. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, brothers and sisters, they did not get what they wanted when they wanted it. But God provided something better for them and for us. And with us, who share the faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, together we share in the promise of a future glory with him. Amen? But in our gospel, and for those who may remember, those who remember Paul Harvey, in our gospel today, as Paul Harvey would say, we get the rest of the story. And in our gospel lesson, we see that Peter goes from hero to zero in a matter of moments. Jesus begins to unfold for them what is about to happen. He will go to Jerusalem. He will be rejected and put to death. Yet he will rise again on the third day. And Peter, I think the tone really is a compassionate. Far be it from you, from, for you, Lord. This must never happen to you. The rock, the keeper of the keys, is called Satan by the very same Messiah. In truth, Peter is not Satan. Satan, however, is speaking through him. And Jesus is clear. These things, his rejection, his death, and resurrection must happen according to God's will. And what follows is what Jesus tells us. And what Jesus tells us are essentially to do three things personally. And Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, we are to deny ourselves, that is, to set aside the things that we want in order to let God's plan unfold. It's not an easy task, especially for Peter and the others. It certainly was not easy for Jesus. 
Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember his prayer. Not my will, but yours be done. Secondly, we are to take up our cross. In other words, to participate with God in his plan. And third, we are to follow where Christ leads. As Jesus often said, follow me. The very fact that these things are hard for us is proof enough that God gets personal with each of us. And sadly, many can look at these things negatively. We can say to ourselves, I don't matter. Nothing I do is good enough. Or we might say, grace is not enough. Somehow, in some way, I have to earn it. Or even worse, somehow, in some way, I have to prove it to someone or to somebody. Does any of that sound like good news? Of course not. Therefore, the good news has to be something better. Maybe we've misunderstood Jesus all along. Is that possible? You see, when Jesus says, deny yourself, let's admit that we don't know the whole situation. God has a plan, and it is better than the one we think that we want in the first place. God has the knowledge we don't. And there are times when we simply need to get out of the way of what the Holy Spirit is doing. When Jesus says, take up your cross, let's come to see that we have a part in God's plan. When Jesus says to deny, him, to deny ourselves, he isn't telling us, go sit on the bench. No, he means for us to do our part, take up your cross. We cooperate with him. And here's the good news. He gives us the capacity to do so. You see, and many of you have heard this before, and it is so true, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips those whom he calls. When Jesus says, follow me, he means you're not alone. You're not alone. Jesus is saying, follow me, I'm with you. I will not, I will I will not abandon you. I will lead you. I will guide you. I will show you the way. I will help you when times get tough. I will give you strength when you think that you can do no more. Follow me. This is what would sustain Jesus as he undertook his own mission 
to save the world. The crosses we bear are nothing compared to his. What a wonderful, gracious God we have. And what does St. Paul tell us today? He tells us, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. We are, we are called to present our bodies and since essentially our lives as a living sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, we all know that, that, that in reading the Old, Old Testament, you know, sacrifices were placed on the altar and, and, and you know, you know what the problem with a living sacrifice is? A living sacrifice has the capacity to crawl off the altar. So, you know, how many times do we present ourselves as living sacrifice and then, and then we crawl off the altar? So Paul says, I, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, who is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Brothers and sisters, if Peter can be influenced by the evil one, so can we. We are living in a time when these ideas are rampant. Peter certainly didn't want Jesus to die or to suffer. The Messiah was to restore Israel and root out the Romans. Peter's plan would prevent God's ultimate plan. And Jesus' response, for who, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, and I like how the Gospel of Mark adds, and for the sake of the Gospel. But those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? As hard as it was for him, Jesus embraced God's will. And as hard as it was for him, Jesus embraced the cross for our sake. And clear, the clear reality is that he calls us to do the same, to embrace God's plan in, in your life. And you know what? God's plan for you is even better than the one 
that you have planned or the one that you might even imagine. And so the gospel, the good news, is that we who begin to give up our lives discover the richness of the kingdom of God. In other words, we become less transformed by the world as we begin to transform the world around us. And this transformation begins in our minds, how we think about these things and our attitudes towards them. But rest assured that we will be tested. Jesus was. The transformation from how we want things will be difficult. Overcoming, overcoming selfish desires always is. But grace abounds. We are given the support not only of the Holy Spirit, but of others' gifts and talents and experiences to support us. Certainly, there are transformations we'd like right now. An end to poverty and corruption. An end to terrorism and war. Peace and prosperity in our own homes and our communities and our families. Even as we seek to transform the church to be daily more like the kingdom of God. Transformation begins with us in small ways compared to the greatest problems of our world. But my brothers and sisters, these transformations, they may start small, but they do not end small. You know, someone once told me, if I had only known God before, as I do now. I wouldn't have wasted so much time. And this is like Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, who whatever gains I had, I, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. Because of Christ, we can be released to live according to to this kind of integrity. But think about it this way. You know, if I have to pick something up and carry it, okay, I find that I can't do it if my hands are full of other stuff. Right? I've got to let certain things go. If I'm going to move, I've got to let certain things go to really get a good grip. My brothers and sisters, so many of us are clinging on to sin and guilt. And in order to get a good grip on the cross, 
We've got to let the sin and the guilt go. And we do that. We can let go of sin and guilt through confession, repentance, and receiving the forgiveness of our sins. Am I saying that we all need to get a grip? Maybe. But only a good grip on the cross. You see, in a world filled with so much that needs to be transformed, the fundamental question people are asking is, is this all there is? And Jesus says, no. But those who would save their own life will lose it. And all those things we cling to selfishly will be lost. If we give up our lives to God, true life, real life awaits. You see, God is always there calling us back. You know, maybe you've been holding on to stuff. Stuff like guilt and sin. Or maybe you've been holding on even to your own ways and desires. And they're getting in the way of getting a good hold on the cross. And today, indeed, is one more day that we have that we can lay down our guilt, our sin, our stuff, and choose to take up the cross. Let that step, stuff go for God's sake and for your own. For true life awaits. To do so, that means that we really can be changed for the better. And that's the Christian hope. We really can be renewed in our hearts and in our minds. We really can set our minds on divine things. May we pray. Heavenly Father, through your Son, through your Son, through your Son, Jesus. Forgive us those times when we have expected you to do things our way instead of us keeping to the task of your will. Lord Jesus, you know how easy it is for us to become preoccupied with human concerns that we forget to trust in you. Today, once again, we pledge our lives to the way of your cross. 
Bless us that we may increase in the gifts you are giving us. Renew us and grant us the courage to carry on. In Jesus' name, amen.